Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your hostess, Mike McKenna. The podcast where we talk about energy and policy and whatever else we feel like talking about. Except the Yankees. Which we shouldn't talk about that. They're not right yet now. in any not way. Yet in any way, shape, or form. My father just texted me and said, hey, they're starting to look pretty good. I said, they can't get any worse starting to look pretty than good what yet. they looked like. They beat, a, they beat a minor league team four games in a row. Yay. All right, so let's start with an election update. Uh, let's do our uh, quick wrap-up. Uh, it hasn't been too long since we've been together. Anything has changed from your perspective? Uh, what are you seeing? What's going on this week? Uh, who's winning this week? And then we'll get to your prediction. I don't think anything's changed. I don't. Um, the The only event this week that I think could be transformative or or be a, be a change point is the town hall tonight in Philadelphia, right? Um, I know the I know the president and his crew um, like to think about the um, the Abraham Accords between Israel and Bahrain and the UAE as um, important, but unfortunately, we're not running for the president of Israel. We're running for president of the United States, and the Americans long ago stopped paying attention to the Middle East. Yeah, well, let's not underscore the importance of it, though. I do think that if this were a different administration, there would be all kinds of popping circumstances around this. This is a fairly significant yeah, it's a very step si- in the right direction. It's, it's a very significant thing, but but it's not. It, look, if 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 peace in the Middle East helped Americans get elected president, Jimmy Carter would have served two terms. It just doesn't. Nobody cares. So it's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear, but it's the truth. Yeah, I understand that part. Uh, but I did want to give them credit for it. I uh, they deserve they deserve a, especially Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. If anybody in this place deserves a, a Nobel Peace Prize, it's him because his sturdiness on Iran has opened the door to all of that st- all this stuff. Yes. Uh, however, his boss has has you know sanctioned that sturdiness too, right? So I think sure. Let's go values. with that. Sure. 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 We'll say that. So I do. I also agree that uh, I think it's a domino effect. And I do think that there's going to be probably a little bit more of this and more pressure put on Iran as a result. Everybody, yes, absolutely. Everybody now recognizes, everyone in the Middle East now recognizes um, two central facts of life. One is that the Persians and the Turks are um, much more dangerous than anyone else. And that given a choice between um, charting your own territory with a regional ally um, like Israel, um, or continuing to be handcuffed to the Palestinian problem, um, everyone in that region is going to want Israel as an ally instead of get handcuffed to the Palestinians. It, it's just that's just as the way it is. And you know the Arabs, unlike the Americans, unlike the Europeans, the Arabs are not at all um, trammeled up in concepts of what's fair and what's right and who did who to what. They only know. What's the practicality of the situation? Living in the desert tends to do that to you. Speaking of the desert, um, by um, Trump, I should say, was in Henderson, Nevada, where my uh, my mother's adopted city, uh, more recently, and and did an indoor event, which was widely panned. Uh, as a result, it was a little bit of an in-your-face, I believe, to the governor. If uh, if that is uh, part of the equation, there. What are your thoughts on the on the rally? I mean, I think these rallies are great. You know, they I know they energize the boss. I think they energize the faithful. Um, 
you know, I don't think they solved the fundamental problem of the campaign, which is that campaign needs to be about Joe Biden. Campaign's about Donald Trump. And and the Biden campaign has been a brilliant and careful and persistent in making sure their guy doesn't give anybody any cause to make the campaign about Joe Biden. And the president, for his part, um, needs attention. So, you know, he it's always going to be about him. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do in this campaign, which is why. So no movement then. That the race has been static for six and a half months now. And we are now six and a half weeks from Election Day. So you're pinging in at a 30% chance again this week. Yes. Got it. Okay, well, let's move on. So I I noticed... <laughs> you're, you're right there, Chief? Yeah, I, I am. I just... I, I, I want to talk about this subject without sort of hitting the cliches. We've got to talk about sort of what's the what's going on behind the scenes here in terms of uh, you know what uh, policies have been been ha- been happening or been taking place that have sort of created this underlying condition. But I want to chat a little bit about the rhetoric here on the wildfires in California. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm sure you saw the famous Gavin Newsom dressed in some sort of a fatigue looking jacket with with ash in the background. I didn't. I was going to guess dashiki though. I figured it's a little shiki. No, no, a a dashiki, a dashiki. No, it wasn't that. But it was. That would be awesome. It was a very fashion forward, uh, you know, emergency response jacket. So we see. I see that Gavin is putting. His personal touch on what do you figure he on spends, the governorship? What do you figure he spends on hair product every year? I have no idea. It's got to be a hell of a lot of money. It's divine. He's, it really a, he's the only American politician with a pompadour. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyhow, so he did a famous monologue where he basically said, "You know, compared to last year, look at how ma- how many more fires there are. Climate change is happening now. It's real. It's a tinderbox in California and." We got to do something about it. We're going to double down on, on the policies in the state of California. We spent a fair amount of time talking about California last week from the electricity yeah. side of the equation. Um, Joe Biden said that President Trump was a climate arsonist. I, I don't know if I've got the, the phrase down exactly. It's close enough. Um, for his part, uh, President Trump said that uh, uh, Europe's trees are a lot uh, more... What was the what was the word he used? They were a lot more explosive oh, than our trees. I missed this uh, one. Yeah. And that and the weather will cool down. To which I I, I witnessed Gavin Newsom's head almost explode um, in their famous little meeting. So I want to unpack this wildfire thing a little bit. This is a this is personal for me because um, we, I did a lot of this fire timber management stuff back in back in the day. Back in odd six. Western caucus. And we, you know, it is absolutely clear that, and if you catch uh, someone who works in the Forest Service or a ranger or a guide from the Park Service, for example, um, they will tell you that, you know, for years and years and years, our fire abatement policy was, our, our abatement policy for forest fires was put out every fire. In addition to that, in the mid-90s, the environmental community systematically 
strategically targeted the forest system in Washington, Oregon, and California in particular, with one goal, to put the logging industry out of business. And they, they, they were relatively successful with uh, a couple endangered species listings, namely the spotted owl, with what it was called wilderness policies, where basically there was no management whatsoever. And of course, you're seeing a lot of um, stories about deferred maintenance on uh, transmission lines from P P G and E, which sort of contributed to some of last year's fires. The entire system is a mess. Uh, what the governor, the, the, the vice president, what the media is not talking about is the fact that California has burned for centuries. It's always been that way. Uh, it will always be that way. And to manage the system is critical for controlled burns, for um, uh, thinning, uh, getting rid of dead and dying timber. You do not want this stuff laying around because when it goes, it goes like hell. And the media is drawing a, a very, very, very thin line between climate change and wildfires. And yet uh, the perception, uh, the, the, the goal here is for the perception to be the reality. Um, and it's disturbing because, you know, climate change equals more X more hurricanes, more wildfires. Um, this, the, the sort of evidence behind this is all very thin at best. Uh, and yet, um, this is sort of the narrative that's taking place. Yeah, the, um, the thing about Gavin Newsom's comments that struck me um, were not the usual climate change, climate change, climate change, right? That, that's good college fun, right? And it's about what you expect, right? What, what surprised me was that he freely acknowledged the um, problem in forest management, right? And, you know, the, the trade press didn't pick up any of that stuff, neither I suppose the national press to the extent anybody listens to him, right? But he told the truth about forest management, right? He also put it on the federal government, too. He said, you guys own 50% of the land in California. You're doing a lousy job of forest management, too, which I thought, yes. I actually give him credit for that. He, he yes. mentioned it. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, the for, U.S. Forest Service, even under this administration, while they may have been, been making you know strides, they have not managed these forests well at all. They've managed them into the ground, in fact. And it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but the, the recognition that, you know, that has to happen is good. But it, it it's implicit that there's a trade-off here, right? You guys manage the forest better and we'll take care of the climate change part. And the climate change part is the problem, right? All these policies that these, that the Greens have sort of put together, the, the architect, the architecture of their policies are leading to the problems that they then go ahead and blame on climate change so they can do what? Yeah, I mean, pass greater, bigger, whatever laws, legislation, infrastructure packages, all that other crap. But, um, you know, the bottom line here is is that um, the fundamentals around climate change haven't changed, and Gavin Newsom's not going to change them. Um, you know, if 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 there was support, if there was support for spending a bunch more money on this, if there was support for hitting people with a carbon dioxide tax. If there was a support for outlawing the internal combustion engine, we'd already have those votes on the floor. 
Um, are these guys trying to gin up support? No doubt. The problem is, is that you know, nobody cares what happens in California except for Californians. It's, it's a little bit akin to the Abraham Accords, right? Um, you know, the, the president is not the president of Israel, and most everybody who lives east of the Sierra Nevada um, is, is, doesn't really care all that much about hap what happens in California. Um, so, you know, is it bad? Yeah. Is it misleading to talk about climate change as a cause of this? It absolutely is. You know, we're, we're twice as many acres routinely burnt to the ground before, um, you know, before industrial times. Yep. Um, so, you know, I just, I don't think this is going to have a lot of traction. Not to say, and, you know, Newsom's going to try. Well, um, it's a deflection, right? I yeah. Mean, it's been, I, the bottom line is, it's like, I want, my hands are washed of this because I believe in, I believe in science and I believe in climate change and therefore it's not my fault. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that's what's going on here. And then the other part that bothers me about this is that if Joe Biden had all, has not been tugged uh, at his ear by the by the hard harder edges of his party, he would not have he would have xed out the phrase climate arsonist yeah. in his speech. Well, I mean, look, that's the problem. Look, I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, one of the problems with outsourcing your thinking is you outsource your thinking, right? So people sneak in stuff like climate arsonist. Um, I mean, that whole speech. It looked like it could have been written by somebody who had just seen the movie The Day After Tomorrow and knew nothing at all about anything involving climate change. It was so I'm guessing it was T.J. Ducklow then who probably. Who did that, I probably. mean, it was it was embarrassing. It was adolescent. It was um, it truthfully is a terrible thing to say, but it's not something that, it's not something a younger Joe Biden would have coughed up. Um, you know, he he just. He hasn't been the same since the aneurysm and the fact that he's letting somebody write this stuff and he's reading it without checking it um, gives you some sense of how ill-prepared he is to be president. He's just, he's not going to be a good president. There's no way around it. Even, you know, it, it, that to my mind, I policies want, aside, <laughs> just, even if I agreed with him on policy, I would look at right. it like he's just terrible. And that was, that was my two takeaways that Gavin Newsom's capable of telling the truth. He told it on forest management. He told it about the feds. And truthfully, he told it about PG&E, right? Hey, you you know, we gave you guys filth. In part. I mean, they also yeah. blame PG&E because, well, in all fairness, you know, they the, gave PG&E is like, you know, the politicians in Sacramento are pulling the strings, right? Yeah, I mean, but, these but, utilities, they're, they're implementers, right? Well, they're like, okay, I'll do this. You're making me do this. Give me my rate increase and, you know, I'll I'll do what you need me yeah, to do. But it's inescapable. It's, the, the fact of the matter and what's inescapable is PG&E does a terrible job of easement clearing. They just do. Yeah. And have for 20 years now. And, and, and you know, the thing the thing about the, the thing about the West in general and California is part of the West. I know they resist that. But um, the thing about the West in general that everybody has trouble with, especially people from the East, um, the West didn't show up like this. Right. We built it. We built we it. it. We it's modified a, it. Right. It's we, a built environment. And we, we dredged it and we, and we channeled it. And we and put dams we diverted up. diverted water right. to, to create the West. Right. The way that it is. And, and, and for the last 30 or 40 years, everybody, Republicans, Democrats, communists, tall people, short people, have been pretending we don't have to manage it. It's going to be fine. Right. 
And just it's the worst possible answer. And you know what? It's been bipartisan. The last president who understood California and the West was Ronald Reagan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? It was Ronald Reagan. So uh, maybe that is why um, Kamala Harris was, uh, was caught in an uh, interesting moment where she uh, described a Harris administration together with Joe Biden. Uh, maybe that helps explain uh, some of the faux pas going on with with Biden. I'm, so. I'm, you know, how can you, how can you blame her? Oh, I get, I get it. I mean, she she anticipates she's going to be president. Sixty one percent in the survey. We get data. We get survey data. You know, almost two thirds of the people surveyed think that Biden's not going to make it first term. So you can't. You can forgive Senator Harris if she's already thinking, hey, at some point I'm going to be sitting in a big chair and, uh, you know, calling people to the Oval Office and asking them to bring, like, you know, nuclear weapons codes with them because I feel like, you know, wiping somebody out. So um, it's 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 a completely understandable mistake. If I were her, I would have made it too. Why pretend, why pretend that my doddering old uncle is going to be anything other than a passenger in this car? All right, so... Um... EIA last year said, at EIA, let me rephrase that, EIA said last year that 2019 was the first year that the United States produced more energy than it consumed since 1957, and was also the first year that exports exceeded imports for the first time since 1952. So here we have, you know, I talk about this pretty much every cycle more recently that energy is at a crossroads. Uh, we have now become a swing producer and we are now not dependent on uh, imports. I mean, it's a global commodity. Yes, our refineries have to take the light sweet stuff. There's lots of trades going on. Our stuff is better for certain, for certain countries, for certain parts of the world as well. So we'll be, mm exchanging those molecules all the time and that's fine and that's a great thing but the fundamentals are that with our production we have become a swing producer and we do not need to worry as much about the whims and, and perhaps maybe there's a part of the reason that there's a rush to start making some peace in the middle east maybe there's a little bit of an under undertone of that soft power. Yeah, I don't think it's a little bit. I I think I think our. I think you can draw a direct line from our ability to um, do precision drilling, and precision extraction. Um, you can draw a direct line from that to what happened in the White House this this uh, this afternoon in South Law, right with the Abraham Accords, because. If you're Saudi Arabia, and make no mistake, nobody would be signing these things right. without the Saudis being their permission. They'd be okay with it at least, right? Maybe right. not their permission, but they couldn't be opposed to it, right? If you're the Saudis, um, if you're Iraq, if you're Libya, um, you know you're looking at a world in which um, American production makes it impossible for you just to determine the price without any reference point, right? You, know, you if you're the Saudis, you can't set the price at eighty bucks anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you, you have a system under pressure, they start thinking about how do we coalesce? How do we collectivize? So th this thing today in the South Lawn was was a result of a bunch of different things. But the fundamental economic thing 
is America's ability to, you just pointed out, right? America's ability to swing produce. Yeah. No, I think though that we don't want to make it sound, I don't, we shouldn't under be any illusions that they're, that they're still going to be a major player. Uh, the Middle East and Saudi oh, Arabia. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, it's it, not, you know, we still like the but, fact of the matter is, is our industry is benefiting from the fact that they have curtailed production. Yeah. If, if the, you know, if they wanted to turn the spigots up, they could do, they could cause a lot more damage today right now during well, COVID. Well, but in all fairness, to the, to the industry. Yeah, but in all fairness, they've made a decision that is in also their long term best right, interest. Exactly. And that's where I was getting. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's no longer a control thing. It's a, we're in this together. Let's let's figure right. it out. And, and, and you know right. that's something. And I'm gonna I'm gonna cycle back to the president here briefly, right? That's something that the president gets, right? That that in a lot of cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases, economics, whether competitive economics or cooperative economics, right? Whether you're working against a rival or working with friends, drives you to do things um, that make sense otherwise, right? And that's, I think, you know, he, he sees the, you know, eventually everyone's economic interests in the Middle East are going to be aligned and they're going to be aligned against the Persians and against the Turks. And it's just a matter of time. And that's some, that's a, that's a piece of the vision that other American presidents haven't had because they're just not economic guys. He sees it totally, right? And that's, he talks about economic dominance, right? Uh, energy dominance, right? He always talks about it on the export side. And he gets it. This export thing, it's not just LNG in Europe. It's not LNG in the Pacific Basin. It's our effect, to your point, on the global system, right? We're, we're, a, we're a, a new, vigorous, and different player in the, goal, in the, in the um, global energy system than we were 15 years ago. And that's all because of... Um, that's all because of, of precision drilling, precision extraction. Yeah. Right? Well, a, a layer of that that gets jo lost. Jo George Mitchell. Yeah. And not, but, not, the, not the worthless senator from Maine, but George Mitchell, the guy who actually invented this thing. And probably he should probably win the Nobel Prize, truthfully. Well, the other thing, too, is that um, um, the, the thing that we talk about is the, the technology is there. Uh, you know, the, the, the resources were there. The technology came along. The, the X factor that we, we know about, but maybe our, you know, our two listeners might not know about. Multiple, is, or, or multiple listeners. Or um, don't understand, like, the, the, com the critical component is our system of property rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. The, fact is, the fact that most of these resources are, are laying underneath private lands, right? The shale plays are in private and state lands for the most part, and, and because the landowners have a piece of the action. In other words, they own the subsurface. It's do being it's being done here. It's not being done in other places where yeah. they also have the resource uh, because of that that uniqueness of our system. Um, but yeah. that leads me to go ahead, you were going to say. Well, something. I was going to I was going to take that ball and bounce it in in um, in two different directions. Right. That's that. First off, that's great insight. Right. That it's not it's not. Technological skill is half of it. Um, institutional and political arrangements are the other half of it, right? Um, president gets that too, right? When he talks about pipelines, what does he talk about? What are we doing to compensate the guys for you know whose land is being impaired by pipelines? You know, pipeline companies want to take all that land by eminent domain, 
but it's much better and much less conflict-ridden if you co-opt people, if you bring them in as equity in a, in a positive way. Of co course. Co-op. Yeah, no, co-op. Not like the negative kind. Co-op like, co like the truncation of cooperation. Right, right, of course. Yeah. You bring them in as owners. You know, owners are a completely different kettle of fish than guys who you've hosed in a, in a legal proceeding. Right? Yeah, you know, when he said uh, way back in the day, people shook, shook their head or scratched their heads. And, yeah. Did he just say that we should get a piece of the action? Yeah. And and eventually, uh, eventually pipelines are going to figure out that's the right answer. We should give people a piece of the action. Because as you just said, hey, it means all of a sudden everybody, instead of being a either at best grudgingly accept something, they're enthusiastic participants because yeah. they're getting some Very cash. good point. Yeah. So that's one. And two is the interesting, the other interesting thing about this is, um, and I know this is talking against our book here, but um, what the the judgment, the judgment that the Bahrain and UAE, Saudi, um, Libya, Iraq, all the, the this this collective judgment the Arabs are coming to. Um, about America's role in the global energy system is a backhanded um, indication that they really don't believe Joe Biden's going to be able to do much here to change this. Is he going to add price to it? Maybe. Is he going to add complexity to it? Definitely. Um, is he going to grow the bureaucracy? Yeah. But this thing is bigger than any one particular president. I, I hope you're right, and and I do want to like. I have no idea if I'm right, but that's clearly what the that's the I, judgment I, the errors have made. I mean, there are probably tons of judgments that they're making on it, and that is certainly one of them. I do, I think that's a good. I mean, I brought this these EAA numbers up because, you know, it, in terms of you know, 2019 being a a, a transition, a, a year of of sort of, a you know, cut, going across. Going from an importer to an exporter, going from a uh, you know produce uh, consuming more than producing more, and and it does lead to the election, and it does lead to Biden and Trump, mm. and and you're you're giving Trump thirty percent chance that gives uh, Biden a significantly bigger chance. So let's unpack for the for the last section here, a uh, little bit of time we have left. Let's unpack that the what what is a Biden administration rhetorically. What, what are they saying that they're going to do and what can they actually accomplish? And we probably have, uh, we probably land somewhere a little bit differently on that. Mm. Um, you know, I think the Biden guys, two things. First off, the, the, the I, I think a Biden administration is going to be riven with internal contradictions and difficulties, right? And you're even seeing that now with, you know, Bernie Sanders and AOC or chip, chip, chipping away at him, in, you know, public and private, you know, sort of semi-publicly. He's not, you know, he's not crazy enough. He's too centrist. He's too pablum, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this is the first legitimate coalition government this country's ever seen. It's going to be ugly and terrible and not work well. Because we're Americans, we don't do coalition governments. We don't do parliamentary governments. So that's a problem for Biden. I imagine there's going to be just a hell of a lot of rhetoric. I imagine they're going to try to do something on the tax side. I imagine there's going to be steady downward pressure on pipelines, on transmission lines. That's something That's something the wind and solar guys haven't thought about, that any pressure you, you bring to bear on pipelines goes goes same for transmission, right? It's, it's goose and gander. Um I don't really know what he can do as far as um, complicating exports. I know he can slow facilities. I don't know if he's going to be able to stop them. And I think stuff 
production on federal land is going to dry up. Forget that. That's over, right? If, you know, if you're not if you're not holding an active permit um, on a federal land, forget it. You're not going to get one. Yeah, they're going to gum that the works yeah. up so badly that yes. it, again, it goes back to that point of the, it's a dis, it's a wholly discriminatory policy. But like you said, you know that doesn't hurt blue states as much. No, as it hurts well, red states, and that's so. that, and that's why what the president did on that 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 ill advised ban on on um, on offshore last week was was such such a problem, right? Because it's any it now makes it very difficult for us to attack the Biden guys as being anti production because they're just going to be like, "What are you talking about? Your guys anti production." Yeah, partially. I I think it was a mistake. We talked about a lot about the reasons why, but the but the from the rhetoric standpoint, we have Biden who's going out of his way to walk back his frack ban, right? And when he comes out of the basement, and um, you know these guys are you know the media is playing this game, where it's like, well, that's you know that's reasonable. Joe Biden's being reasonable. Why? Why not just ban it on federal lands? That's a good compromise, right? Yeah. And they're, they're, they're sort of the walk back is is happening with a complicit media. I do I, think they can do a lot more damage than just the federal lands. I do think that we, you know, fortunately, that the it's going to take a while for them to to sort of re sort of reassert themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the EPA, which was the 800-pound gorilla in the Obama administration, they could do anything they wanted to any agency they wanted. Yeah. Uh, they're going to try to re- restore that um, fairly quickly. Everything that the current administration has, has done to undo the previous administration will come to a grind, grinding halt, and then they'll try to kind of reconstitute you know, what the Obama guys did. And, and that's going to, what it, what it did was the sense that I got from the industry was that we are now, we have a government that is willing to listen to us and that they're, they're not, you know, they were overwhelmed with layer upon layer upon layer of right. Even this, the little tiny things. Sure. And, and there, there's going to be a return to that. It's going to grind it down. Um, we, I think there'll be steady downward pressure, but I'm willing to bet two things. At the end of the Biden administration, whenever it is, um, the price paid at the pump, the price paid on utility bills is going to be essentially the same. Um, I'm also willing to bet that the product- I think that's because of the lag. Maybe, yeah. I think it's partly because it of is. the lag. The other thing is, is I think the production number is going to be about the same. You know, the tricky part is going to be, you know, what is what are we going to be able to export? I think that's where the Biden guys might have some juice. And the other thing that I worry about with the Biden guys is how do they change the conversation? You know, are we at the end of four years or eight years, are we seriously talking about banning internal combustion engines in 2040? Something like that. Right. You know, that that that, that that's what I really worry about. When you when you make that that ex- when you make the ra- the green left your partner in crime they are going to expect a return on their investment Correct. and they're not going to go away it's yeah. uh, you know the 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 fundamental fact of the matter is is that they have tugged this party to the to the extreme on these issues i wait a minute hold on there sister i happen to know for a fact the united states chamber of commerce is going to endorse like Somewhere between twenty and fifty of these guys for re-election, give them some cash, probably. 
And I can't believe you tell me the Chamber of Commerce would do that for a party that's like leftward on these issues. Is that no, what you're trying to I'm not going to take the bait on this because we don't have enough time. <laughs> but we can talk about... My friend Neil Bradley would never do that. We can talk about that. I'm, I'm happy to. I have strong <laughs> opinions about it. So what, what do I think overall? I think where I agree with you, I, uh, the fact that we, we will have a, the FERC for at least two years, if, if my math is correct. One year. We'll have FERC for one year. One year. So that will at least kind of slow it down. Yeah, I think that that's true. Um, will we? But I agree. The, the federal lands are are have a huge target on their back. We're done. And it, to me, it's the orientation of the entire government. What we learned in the transition was that the Obama administration did a few things well. Yeah, man. And one of them was was to have the entire federal government, the entire apparatus, steered towards the quote-unquote climate action plan. Yeah. Every single agency yeah. had an overlay mission to their whatever their existing mission was. Yeah, they, that was to implement the, the Obama climate action plan. And the fact that there's all this talk about how Biden should make sure none of these moderates get into his administration and there can be nobody who has any knowledge uh, or has has been seen with anyone who supports coal, oil, or natural gas? To me, that's that's going to be the struggle in the first couple of months. I, I hope I hope the bad guys win on that one because because the you know the Obama guys who who use the bureaucracy they're smart they get it. These guys like AOC they have no idea they just like making speeches and yap 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 yapping. They have no idea how to use the federal bureaucracy. So <laughs> that is true. So <laughs> if, if I had to pick between you know not terribly bright and inexperienced opponents or really bright and inexperienced opponents, I'm going to pick the not terribly bright guys. And the thing about the you know the former Obama guys, as you pointed out. They understood how to use the federal bureaucracy to try to get what they were trying to do. They didn't understand they Congress. They probably didn't right away. Well, yeah. They, you know, they probably didn't right away. They tried to work work these deals on the Hill. Yeah. But they came to it fairly quick. They didn't understand, con they didn't understand Congress or the press to save their lives. They yeah. had no clue what to do with the White House. But that is one thing on transition, man. Yeah. When you saw what they did, you're like, oh, yeah. damn, those guys are good. So, so the other uh, sort of the over, you know, Trump is more of the same. I think, you know, we talked about when left to his own devices, his instincts are right on these issues. Like we've got to get through this campaign and we've got to undo some of the campaign botches, uh, blunders, I think, that have taken place. I know there's some there's some more happening this week with ethanol. Um, but the, the overriding principle that the president has, I believe, and you're much closer because I think you spent a few minutes or, or so in the Oval, is that he, he understands that the, the, the critical role of the federal government is to first do no harm. And, and that will be the difference between the two orientations with respect to these issues and probably a lot of other issues. Yeah. Um, you know, so more of the same with Trump, it, can we can we get can we get a lot more out of the Trump administration if he gets reelected? I would hope so, but at least we know that his orientation is that he supports what's happening and gets the value of it, whereas the other guys are trying to fumble their way through because they went to bed with this with this you know element uh, that is just 
off their rocker and mm-hmm. you know pulling it back is not going to be easy yeah i don't i don't worry about the president i worry about the staff and so. you know if you look at the last four years that's a good worry yourself included especially <laughs> all right well that is all the time we have for today's episode of unregulated we hope you will subscribe tune in and uh, see you again next week peace